Morrison hosts the media, election highlights and lowlights, and the good news is about solar panels at night. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. You may notice that it is I, Van Battam, who is currently hosting the show because my gorgeous, handsome, generous, impeccably socialist partner, Ben Davison, has the super cold. How are you feeling today, Ben? I, I don't feel very well, I have to say. I don't feel very well at all. No, so Ben has done five rat tests in a row and all of them have been negative. So we were like, is Ben just not rat test compliant? But we have found out that Ben has a mega flu. Uh, and part of the recommendation from our lovely local pharmacy, all of whom have also had this mega flu apparently, is for Ben to rest up, which is not really in his nature, is it? No, and I, I don't really like resting up. And anybody who follows uh, me on social media will see that me resting up seems to involve me picking fights with large sections of the Australian uh, online community. So <laughs> <laughs> I must try and avoid that. I'll try and avoid coughing throughout the uh, podcast today. If there are odd poise, pauses, it will be because he will be reaching for the water that I'm making him drink or having a lem sip, which I'm also insisting that he take. I am not sick for some strange reason. This is a very interesting inversion of our ongoing situation, <laughs> but poor Ben and he's super cold is really something to behold. Yes, yes. It's. Uh, uh, I'm sure I will be better soon. And uh, until then, there's so much for us to talk about. Man. There is so much for us to talk about. So it was a really big evening yesterday. Uh, and I I think Ben will pick up the context of more, the broader context of what happened. But the uh, online community learned of an incident at the Nepean Rowing Club, I believe, right, which is in Western Sydney, out near Penrith. Uh, and we learned of this because a young man by the name of Addison, who is a keen TikToker, yeah, uh, he turned up at an event at the Nepean Rowing Club, which is a public bar, yeah, yeah, that he'd heard from a friend Scott Morrison was at, and uh, this young man went in looking very. You know, short back and sides, button-up shirt, and, and looking absolutely like a young liberal. I've never seen anything quite so on brand. And walked in with his phone and was live streaming an encounter with the Prime Minister. And, of course, Scott Morrison, you can find this clip on our yeah. social media, but Scott Morrison's super chirpy and, oh, good to meet you and what are you doing and blah, blah, blah. And obviously because he's in the right outfit. Yeah. Um. You know, he's assumed that this guy is, you know, a junior staffer or something, right? Yeah, yeah, because he's got the he's got the look down, yeah. and of course, check shirt, nicely ironed. The kid says, "Oh, I just want to ask you a question." Yeah, and of course, you see the gleam of panic in Morrison's eyes. Yeah, and then he Morrison realizes the kid's filming, and he's like, "Are you filming?" And he's like, "Yeah, I want to ask you a question." And Morrison is like, "This is a private event." I'm hosting drinks for the media. Yeah. yeah. This is the key yeah. phrase. And it and it is it is a key phrase. And I also want to wind back a little bit because originally Morrison says yes to being asked a question. Right. And in and in the TikTok, if you watch the whole thing, Morrison then goes, Oh, you're not with the media, are you? And and Addison, I think that's the other Addison, guy's name. Yeah. He's honest. He's like, oh no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm 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 local. I uh, just was hoping to ask you a question. 
is that all right? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then he goes, oh, what's this? And he realises he's being filmed and he goes, oh, I just want to film the question and answer. Uh, and he says, no, no, this is a private event. I'm hosting drinks for the media. Yeah. Uh, and that's where in most of the media coverage we start to see the TikTok because at that point Morrison turns around, goes to walk away, and he, and uh, Addison says, well, I just wanted to ask you a question. And Morrison is essentially going and, and some, you think you hear somebody off screen say, you need to leave. And Addison at this point yells, you're a disgrace, you're a disgrace, leaves the venue. No, no, he asks his question. Oh, that's right, he does. Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the important yeah, part. This is literally the most yeah. important part because the kid is from Springwood. Yeah. Right? yeah. So has family in Springwood. Springwood's in the Blue Mountains. I love Springwood. Spent a lot of time there. Um, and Springwood and areas around the Blue Mountains were absolutely devastated in the bushfires. That's right. Like places all over Australia where bushfire relief that was promised by the Morrison government- Still hasn't arrived. Still hasn't turned up. People are living in insecure accommodation and there has been no- like, Forget about getting a secure job when you don't have a secure home, by the way. Well, this is the thing. You know, there was massive displacement. A lot of those areas haven't recovered economically. You know, like I said, accommodation yeah. is insecure. And then where are the bushfire mitigation, mitigation strategies? Where is the fleet of planes? Where is- I mean, it hasn't happened. Yeah. hasn't happened. And we know that this emergency relief fund has been sitting there for months, accruing interest, you know. Years now. Oh, it's absolutely appalling. And that was the kid's issue. Like why are we not talking about that? Yeah, yeah. And instead what happens he asked, is- he, he asked, doesn't he? He goes, what do you have to say to people who uh, who were burnt out in the bushfires? Or he asked, yeah. I can't remember the exact phrase, but he's very specific about people who are impacted by bushfires. And yeah. that's his question. That's why he's there. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. And why wouldn't he be there? He's from Springwood. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, and but Morrison, bang, he's out of there. And the kid, of course, gets heavied out yeah. by the AFP. Yeah. And, the, and of course, then it's and it hand, just- over your, hand over your licence and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, like, he's yelled out, you're a disgrace, yeah. right? Yeah. He hasn't hit anyone. He hasn't no. touched anyone. No. There is no violence, no egging, no thrown no. pies. None of that. No. There aren't a bunch of boys outside trying to bash the doors no. in. It's a kid on his own with a phone asking a question about the bushfires, yeah. which the prime minister should be asked. Yeah, because that is his catastrophe, and should be able to should be able to answer. Like should be able to say, "Well, look, mate, we've put this many millions of dollars into these communities, and it's meant we've built this many houses, and it means we've created this many jobs. And yes, there's still work to do. Like, you know." I wouldn't have expected that he'd be able to go, everything is fine, but you would expect that asked a we're question. We're not perfect, which is the latest line. Yeah, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. I mean, you know, we're all being done for corruption and, you know, million-dollar trusts and the rest of it. We're not perfect. But, but Addison in the car park with the AFP guy, you know, is is clearly concerned, right? Like he's been... The guy asks to see his ID and Addison says, well, I'm not, I've got ID, but I'm not showing it mine until you show me yours. The AFP officer does. They then have an interaction, which is quite polite. And in all of the reporting, it's quite clear that Addison is released without charge. Because um, he hasn't done wrong. That's right. Today, so last night, of course, you and I see this happen on Twitter, on social media, and 
the initial kind of wait. He has one line I want to repeat. Addison goes, "I didn't punch the prime minister. I'm not a gronk. <laughs> I'm not a gronk. That's right." And and like clearly he understands that there are lines, right? Like he hasn't punched the prime minister. He doesn't want to be a gronk. He hasn't touched anyone up. That's right. None of that. Um, he doesn't appear to be intoxicated in the film. Like it's seriously, sub egg boy behavior. Yeah, right. Sub egg boy. That's probably a good description of it. And of course, when this happens last night, people go, you know, this kid's being detained, and there's a sort of instant reaction to this idea that he's being engaged by the AFP. Now, I understand that. I understand why people were initially concerned. There's a young man who hasn't done anything wrong. The AFP have clearly said today hasn't done anything wrong um, and who has complied with all their requests. And the concern was he was going to be detained. But when you get into it, the the undercurrent here, the underlying issue is, of course, yes, there's issues around the bushfire relief and why aren't those questions being asked? Well, the line that Scott Morrison says on the TikTok where he says, this is a private function, I'm hosting drinks for the media, may be the key that unlocks the answer to why certain questions are not being asked and why certain things are and aren't a focus in this election. All right, so let's go back to uh, one of the most infamous incidents of the campaign so far. I don't even know how long. I feel like the campaign is just been I think running. we're on day three. Is that all? Because it feels like a millionly, billionly years. Day three or four, depending on it if you count Sunday. Just anyone, anyone who knows what day it is, please just let us know. Um, so there was an, the incident that is supposed to have already ruined Andy Albanese is that he was asked a question, which was a gotcha question. Yeah, yeah. Do you know the cash rate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Ben, can you explain to everybody what the cash rate is? Because, and this was my point, I don't think the majority of Australians do know either A, what it is, or B, what it is. So the cash rate, right, the cash rate is the rate at which cash is lent overnight by the central bank to other banks, and it's the rate. It's basically the 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 rate at which money is valued. So I'll give you an example. When we talk about the cash rate, most people are referring to the interest rate that the Reserve Bank sets once a month. Currently, zero point one percent, I think. Right, but the cash rate, the actual cash rate, fluctuates around that. What the Reserve Bank sets in inverted commas is a target cash rate. That's the rate at which it wants cash to transfer between parties overnight. The actual rate at which it transfers depends on the parties, right? So it's kind of a- You're not talking about political parties, though. No, no. I'm talking about the parties in the transaction. Is everybody following this? Is everybody completely across this, by the way? <laughs> so, so let me be really clear about this. The cash rate is not set by the Prime Minister. It's not set by the government. It's not even set, really, by the RBA. The Reserve Bank of Australia, the central bank. That's right. The RBA sets a target cash rate, and it then uses its position in the market to try and make that happen. So, And it's relevant to what? It's, it, underpins, it underpins a whole series of lending rates. Most famously, it sets, if you like, the foundation for what is the mortgage rate, it also underpins things like the bond rate, which is the price at which the government can borrow money 
from other people and pay it back, right? So if you're a retiree, you might have bonds and you might get a return on those bonds and use the return on those bonds to pay your living expenses. But it fluctuates every day. Effectively, the cash rate fluctuates every day. Now, the target rate doesn't fluctuate every day. The target rate fluctuates when the Reserve Bank charges it. But what was Albanese asked? He was asked, what is the cash rate? Right. So it, so it could have been referring to the target rate or the fluctuating rate overnight. Absolutely. And this is this is the point that I think Adam Bant made today at the press club. Everybody stop. We're about to compliment Adam Bant. Sit down. I know. Brace yourselves. Adam Bant was asked a question about what is the WPI. Literally, that was the question, which stands for Wage Price Index. And Adam Bant said, Google it, mate. Because, and he made the point, the reason why people disengage with politics is that campaigns aren't supposed to be about a series of gotcha questions. If a journalist is asking a question they already know the answer to or that they could Google, they're wasting a question. They're wasting an opportunity. Now, should Anthony Albanese have been able to say, well, the Reserve Bank sets the cash rate and they do that every month? Yeah, probably. Did he answer the question well? Clearly not, because we're still talking about it a few days later. But we're talking about it because it completely dominated the media discourse for 24 hours. And it was particularly frustrating for you and for me. And I put this into our own personal concerns in terms of this frame. So as everybody knows, my mother is very sick. Yes. Very, very sick. So my mother, who has a terminal cancer diagnosis (laughs) in the past 24 hours, has also been diagnosed with coronavirus on her cancer ward. And what has dominated my life for the past nine months is my mother's illness and the need for her care. So I am her carer. Um, It's my mother's wish to stay in her home. So Ben and I have reorganised our lives, which is very normal in this country, for me to be her carer and spend as much time in Sydney with her as possible. And aged care is my issue now. And I have said this in many interviews I have done on this particular subject. I genuinely do not know how people manage aged care with beloved um, elderly relatives if they're also managing the care of children or people in their family with disabilities. I just don't know how people do it. I don't know. And heaps of people do. Yeah. Um, they call women like me usually the sandwich generation yeah. because we know that care disproportionately falls on women's shoulders. That has impacts on their participation in the workforce, how much money they can earn, and therefore how much superannuation they will have to retire on. Um, a husband is not a superannuation plan. Yeah. you know. And we know that the fastest growing group of homeless people in Australia is retired women because they don't have enough money to retire on. Yeah. Um, And so my mother's care is all I'm really interested in on a practical day-to-day level at the moment. Yeah. And my mother was diagnosed uh, in June last year. We got into the aged care system, um, you know, for my aged care. It took until December for us to get an assessment of my mother, which was done over the phone. Nobody comes to your house anymore because coronavirus and the rest of it. And I had the service I need phone me, what, three days ago? Yeah. April. Yeah. Since then, my mother's condition has deteriorated. And, like, I'm just so angry. I'm so angry I can't even get riled up anymore. And part part of the anger, I think, that that I feel about it is that when Albanese was asked that gotcha question, he had spent the day talking with aged care residents and aged care workers 
about how insecure work and a lack of funding to have nurses in nursing homes was impacting the quality of life of elder Australians. Of Australia's most vulnerable citizens. And and what it what Labor's policy position was on aged care around having a nurse in every nursing home, having um, minimum standards of nutrition, minimum standards of care, and the questions went about that. They went about that. That's not the, the bus full of journalists who follow him around for the next six weeks didn't have an interest in that. They wanted to play gotcha, gotcha journalism. And, and part of the reason why what happened last night ties into this is that for the vast majority of Australians, the first two days of the election campaign- Have not been about them? No. They've not been about our issues. The leader of the opposition, the alternative prime minister of this country, is at an aged care home being told that there are not nurses in nursing homes and there are not carers in care homes. That's essentially what's going on. Yeah. That that the the government have made such a complete hash of aged care because their attitude is if you can't afford it, you don't deserve it, that the pressure put on families in these vulnerable emotional moments where you are trying to provide dignity into client to the people you love most in the world it is it is just emotionally hurtful and and difficult and distressing the decisions that have to be made and as you're always saying to me you know you're not a nurse you're yeah. not a trained care professional and i'm one of millions of australians who are in the position of trying to do the best i can for the mother who I adore and it's complex and difficult and there's no support. It's piecemeal, it's it's clumsy, it's inefficient. You know, I have not actually received tangible support in this time and people who are entrusting their relatives to aged care homes are in many ways in an even more vulnerable position because they don't know what's going on, there's not transparency, Everybody's seen the reports about lack of care, about the appalling nutrition, the rest of it. And forgive me for getting riled up, but this is a real issue for people. And and we've seen that over the last few days, this outpouring on certainly through our social media channels and and through the people who listen to our podcast, who, by the way, made on, you know, the episode we did on Sunday was a top 10 politics podcast and a top 40 news podcast on the day of the election being called. That's a pretty amazing thing. And I couldn't quite understand why. And then as the feedback from people who listen to our podcast starts to come across over the day, over the last couple of days, it's because we're talking about these issues. And so much of the media isn't. So no. much of the media was focused on, you know, the cash rate and the unemployment rate. Numbers that fluctuate, numbers that are not set by government, numbers that are- And numbers that aren't relative to the the pressing material concerns of the majority of Australians' I've lives. I've never had a conversation with anyone about the cash rate or the unemployment rate outside of a political discussion with other people who are full-time political professionals or elected officials of some kind. It just doesn't happen. But I've had numerous, and not just with, with you, Van, obviously, but with lots of people, conversations about aged care, childcare, Medicare, 
the security of employment, all these things. Oh, so and the NDIS and absolutely childcare, and it goes on and on and so, on. So what happened on last night was that the 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 picture quickly emerged that Morrison was hosting drinks for the media. And, in fact, in the TikTok, in Addison's TikTok, he shows the bus that they all turned up in together. And the internet has exploded because people have gone, hang on a minute, we thought that the media was following the campaigns around to give us insight into what the leaders were doing and what the campaigns are about. And what we're actually learning is that the campaigns are using the media as a conduit to communicate their message to us. So the audience is not the people of Australia. The audience is the media. And this is the point that I keep trying to make to people online, that there are unconscious biases that we all have, that we all have. And we've learned a lot about bias in the last 40 years. And the more time you spend with someone, the closer the proximity, the more sociable you are with them, the 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 way your bias is formed changes. There are things called the halo effect. Because you like someone, you're more likely to ascribe positive intention to them. The horn effect, because you dislike someone, you're more likely to ascribe negative connotations to them. The horn effect. Yeah. Oh, that's got a different meaning to when I was growing up. Thank you, Ben. But there are lots of other biases as well, right? And, and look, can I be honest? I've got them. Of course, I made I've a decision got them too. because for people who don't know this, I'm really a theatre person. I am a theatre person. I did theatre degrees at university. I accidentally became a journalist because I was doing a stand-up comedy gig on a feminist night at the Vanguard in Newtown, and the Guardian happened to be there and thought I was funny. And you're a commentator. And I'm a commentator. I write opinion. Yeah. Right. I am not a reporter. I'm always like people look. Oh, you know. Biased journalism. And it's like, dude, I'm not a reporter. Like, I'm not here to lay out the facts. I'm here to interpret the facts through a frame. And I made a decision in my very first column for The Guardian, I made it clear who I voted for in my first column. And I have always been open about my my political alignment and my party alignment. I'm not a member of a political party. I have no interest in becoming a member of a political party. But I wanted to be honest because personally, I hate false impartiality. Absolutely. You know, I feel like I'm being lied to. And I think one of the reasons why Australians have a lot of distrust of the media is because people know that there are spruikers for one side or the other. And when they're not declared, it comes across as dishonest. And there's a couple of things I want to point to on that. So Chris Kenny is out there campaigning for a relative of his named Kenny as well uh, in a liberal blue T-shirt. I don't have a problem with that because Chris Kenny is very clearly a Liberal supporter. Yeah, he was a former Liberal staffer. And we know his background. We know Chris Kenny. Like, it would be good if they declared that on each of his shows. If they're not going to do that, that's fine. It's pretty easy to find information. Chris Kenny is a Liberal. That's it. If you watch Chris Kenny, you you pick up on that, you know that, that's who he is. I actually have very little problem with that. The issue people have is trust in the media. And the, the Edelman score, which is a, a global survey about trust in institutions, media, business, uh, government, shows that trust in media in Australia has declined three percentage points. We are now below the level at which 
the Edelman score says an institution is actually considered as being trustworthy. So for the media to go, oh, this is normal. We do this all the time. We always have drinks. We have drinks with both sides. And people have been tweeting this today. It is mind-blowing, the lack of self-reflection. So I saw a couple of journos or ex-journos from the 70s and 80s go, actually, we didn't do this. You know, a couple of people going, oh, we've been doing this since the 90s. It's like people's expectations have changed. Journos are not the audience. Journos are a conduit to the audience. The people of Australia are the audience for journos and they are the electors of politicians. This kind of, uh, the leader of the Liberal Party is buying everybody drinks every night on the election campaign. There's a whole range of things wrong with that. And, and I tweeted that, you know, if an employer tried to take union officials out for drinks during bargaining, under laws the Morrison government has established, that would be a crime. That would be considered a corrupting benefit, in inverted commas. And yet Morrison has no qualms. In fact, says quite openly to this young man who he knows is filming him, I'm hosting drinks for the media. And then the next day, the media have spent all day talking about how normal this is. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I get it. In Parliament House, during sitting weeks, there's going to be conversations. There's going to be, you know, conversations over coffee, maybe even conversations over the occasional drink. But during a campaign, when you're in close quarters, when you're following each other every single day, when the entire fate of the nation may rest on the next 38 days and what you choose to report and what you choose to ask, you have to take a higher standard or you have to come out and say, on Monday night we had drinks with Morrison. On Tuesday night we had drinks with Albo. On Wednesday night we had drinks with Pauline Hanson. On Thursday night, Satan called and we went down and had a good old-fashioned cocktail party around the, around the fiery lake. Satan always throws the best parties, can I just say? Always. But, you know, declare it. Make it clear. Oh, and I hope people get that transparency from me. I'm always very careful. If I'm hanging out with politicians, some of whom I genuinely support and have, like, sincere admiration for because I come from an activist background as well where I've met a lot of people when I was doing trade union work and environment work and all, all other kinds of things. But I photograph it. There is a very public trail and I'm not interested in keeping those relationships behind closed doors because that was dishonest. I hope listeners of the show and people who read my journalism appreciate that because I do get people contacting me saying, I do not agree with your politics, but I know where you're coming from. Yeah. You know, and that's important. And I think it's it's really interesting when you compare to the level of transparency you get from journalists in the UK and in the US as well, where people are registered Republicans or registered Democrats and declare their allegiance and you know where people are coming from. It makes a difference yeah. than having to second guess going, who, what framework is the, this? The original reporting on last night's incident totally glossed over that it was a media event, that it was a private function for the media hosted by Scott Morrison. Yeah, and that was really disturbing that the articles that came out didn't mention it was- It was literally reported as Scott Morrison was accosted at a private function. And that's the kind of bias I'm talking about because 
There's no reason for that to happen. Now, I'm not saying any of those journos are doing anything wrong. I'm not saying that they're that they're biased towards Morrison or against Morrison as a result of these drinks. I'm not saying a schooner has changed the course of the nation. What I'm saying is that would that article have been written in that way if those journos weren't there? If those journos, is there any point at which the journo who wrote that article, those articles that came out straight afterwards, went, don't really want people to know it was a media drinks? Because if there was a moment that any one of them had that thought, then there is a conscious bias that has crept in. It is really interesting. So there was a um, media clip from the 7.30 report in 2018. It was late line, I think. A late line, you are correct. Yeah. Um, I was. I am misinformed because it was <laughs> Lee Sales who was hosting. And it's an interview between Lee Sales and a guy called Jay Rosen who's a professor of journalism at New York University. And a lot of people were sharing this even before yeah. the incident last night, which I think is one of the reasons why people read that incident in the way that they did, was Jay Rosen talked about his surprise at how media covered elections in Australia and he called it horse race journalism. Yeah. And this is four years ago where he was talking about how the day-to-day coverage is about who got some pace and who stumbled and who made a gaffe and who didn't and at the end of the day it was like, well, who's ahead, who's ahead, who's ahead, yeah. like calling a race. And he's like, that's not how political journalism is supposed to work in an election campaign. It's supposed to be about a framework around what the people want and how politicians are or are not speaking to that. And that's why the whole obsession with the cash rate question was just there's just been a number of incidents and I freak out about this because obviously like I I have my part of my weird mm. corner of the Australian media in <laughs> the extremely, you know, profitable, grift-heavy world of Left-wing journalism. <laughs> um, that's a joke, by the way. It's not yeah, really. There yeah. is no. There is, spoiler alert. There is no big socialism. That's not a thing. Having said that, a huge shout out and thanks to everyone who supports the week on Wednesday through our buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. Yes, yes. In in lieu of the corporate dollars, I so significantly fail to attract. But it is it is really. Like I understand the pressures that particularly reporters are under because I am not one but I see them. And the reality is that the modern newsroom is expected to do eight times the work that it was expected to do 15 years ago and the money has not been going up. There is a churn and burn with journalists who who have been going through like horrific destabilisation in terms of their work conditions and people seem to think the journalists have control over what they do. That is not how the media works. Editors have control, editorial policy, owners, shareholders, all these things. There are levels of power and influence before you get down to the journalists. And I'm not going to criticise my colleagues for the work that they do. I am going to put that in the context that we have a very big problem, which I have just written a book about, that disinformation is incredibly powerful and disinformation online and online communities have created like this, this um, you know, fake news currency yeah. exists in people because there are there is a distrust of the media. Yeah. There is an institutional mistrust. And you have said this, like if people are not trusting the media, they're trusting information that comes from other sources. And given the fact there is also institutional mistrust of politicians, you know, there have been years of propaganda to erode trust in other institutions as well. You do get people relying on peer information in an increasingly dependent way. 
And what's really scary in terms of this election in particular and why this incident with the obsession with the cash rate question and the kid getting thrown out of the closed media drinks that people didn't admit was media drinks, like that is really bad, corrosive, antitrust kind of stuff. Yeah. The problem with that is that, and this is my analysis, and this comes from studying disinformation, disinformation campaigning. So write my book. This is an unusually long election period. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So it's longer than the last two elections. And the way that it's structured is interesting because we've got Easter where nobody's really paying any attention to what's going on with the campaign because people are flying all over the country trying to see the relatives they didn't get to see last time. Um, or in our case, maybe not going anywhere because my mother's in isolation in hospital because she has coronavirus. Okay. The issue is that there's going to be like a two, like in this long campaign period, about two weeks before pre-poll opens where everybody will be a bit sick of the campaign but know that it's going on but aren't in a position to vote yet. In that period, and this is a prediction I'm very concerned about making, it is going to be the ripest possible window for disinformation campaigning. And... I think everybody who listens to this show would be aware that disinformation campaigning was incredibly beneficial to the Liberals in the last Absolutely. election. Absolutely. There were disgraceful, disgraceful internet rumours that were published about Bill Shorten and attacks on his character and attacks on his family. And, and attacks on policies that didn't exist. And then, and- of course, there was the anti-death tax campaign that yeah. was campaigning against yeah. a policy that didn't exist all done in a very spurious, oh, share this message by copying and pasting it. So all your friends think it came directly from you, not from the person who originated this. And, of course, during the in the wake of the last election where I was like, where did the death tax stuff come from? I, of course, researched it and found out. Do you remember what I found out? That it was cut and paste from a campaign in Florida. That Steve Bannon had run using his Cambridge Analytica data. Yes. And we can expect to see They didn't even change the numbers, everyone. Whoever ran that campaign in Australia did not even change the numbers. And and this is is why I get so head up about this situation with journalism and the situation with journalists and politicians and the lack of trust and the the corrosion of trust. And, look, I get it. It, You know, you get invited to drinks, you want to go. As people have been- as I am people, really glad I don't drink. As people have been saying, you know, I've had people say if a teacher took a gift from a parent and, and didn't declare it, they'd lose their job. I've had people say if, you know, as a union official, if I went for drinks with the boss after work, it would erode the trust my members have in me. I'm just never going to do it. You know, I've had people say uh, in my sales job, if I took- anything worth more than $5 from a client, I'd lose my job. Like there is just no workplace in Australia now where the the client puts on booze and food for you and that you get to do that and then the next day rock up and pretend like your work interaction is in no way impacted by the fact that Last night you had a social function together that was paid for by them, and tonight you'll probably have a social function that was paid for by them. Now, there's all sorts of detail and, you know, demagoguery around who's paying for what and whatever. Morrison said he was hosting 
drinks for the media. Private drinks. Private drinks. And yeah. I'm just like, if you if you're too embarrassed to declare it, you probably shouldn't do it. Absolutely. Like I declare everything that I do. And, and you can get a lovely record of all the things that I go to on my Instagram because I habitually photograph everything. And and let's be really frank, you know, I'm absolutely out there, you know. I'm vote one Labor, put the Liberals last, join your union, and we'll talk about why you should join your union shortly because some of the highlights of this campaign from what's actually issues that matter show the importance of the union's role in our democratic society. So go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, join your union now. I'll say it again later when we talk about it. But, you know, just be clear. You know, I don't like Chris Kenny. Please do not put me in a position where I've got to say, you know what, Chris Kenny's done the right thing here. That's I don't want to be that guy. That's not where I want to be. I want to be saying, yeah, there are really clear boundaries. It's really clear that journalists in Australia are holding politicians to account. They're raising the issues that matter to people and they are putting their feet to the fire on the things that matter. Not, well, look, you know, it was a private party and, you know, they, they don't have to declare it. And, you know, a schooner's never really changed the course of a nation. These are not phrases that instill a sense of confidence in the fourth estate of our democracy. Just declare it. Just declare Literally it. Literally just declare it. Just declare it. Let's let's move on to some of the issues that, that do matter because there has been some small amount of actual campaigning in this campaign that I think is worth talking about. Today, Anthony Albanese held the first Labor rally in Melbourne with the ANMF, that's the Australian Nursing Midwifery Federation, and announced 50 Medicare urgent care clinics Fantastic announcement. We all know the importance of Medicare. Of course, uh, we've seen also him announce uh, increasing tele-psychiatric uh, appointments as well into Medicare. Uh, and yes, we've got the, the NDIS um, policy is going to be launched soon. Fantastic. That's coming as well, which I think will have lots of address lots of concerns people in that sector have. Um, I have some horrible news. Right. Uh, Samantha Maiden is running an exclusive um, that Scott Morrison's captain's pick for the seat of Warringah, currently held by independent Zali Stegall, Catherine Deves, yeah. Deves, she's wiped her social media accounts, uh, which included posts where she described trans children as surgically mutilated and sterilised and said she was triggered by the pride flag. Oh, dear. Yeah. So she seems nice. In fact, she doesn't. I mean, this is the thing. I'm getting one of the reasons I'm really worried about the disinformation stuff is that already Morrison has launched a bunch of culture war red flags. Yeah. There's this attack on trans children and yeah. attack on trans athlete thing. And it's all borrowed from America. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, oh, they're going to come and tell it's about sexy setting, things to your kids and that. It's about setting up a frame though, isn't it? So that at some point in the election he can use that frame to to box in Albanese in some way. That's, the, that's what it's about at this stage, isn't it? It is really disturbing what's happening. And given – the things that somebody was prepared to say about Bill last yeah. time and the absolute, like, just unhinged inanity of the death tax thing, 
I'm very concerned about setting up these culture war frames that attack trans people because that's a very marginalised community and disinformation about the particular issue could get people hurt, like physically hurt. Yeah, look, you know, as as you know, Van, as I'm sure many people listening to this podcast today know, you know, growing up as a gaby with two mums in the 80s, that was a time where that wasn't the usual Situation. It wasn't an accepted situation for many people, you know. We to be ha- a little rainbow baby. To be a little rainbow baby, you know. I didn't know any different, but you know, people killed our dog. They vandalised our home. They threw things at us in the street. The level of violence that can come from people being afraid or ignorant or being encouraged into a political posturing of hate with the imprimatur of say a governing party of a major country, yeah can have devastating consequences and and people do do get it's not just you know I shouldn't say just but not only emotionally hurt and psychologically hurt they get physically hurt people die people you know y- you look at the history of this country there was a time where there was a a, a well-known place in Sydney that that gay men were thrown off of like it's a it's a terrible there's a terrible dark, element to culture wars that impacts people's lives and we need to talk about actual issues yeah and and there are fires floods how is it that we live in a country where people in a flood situation had to crowdsource a helicopter to get themselves rescued and i think you know in this election You've got Holly Hughes misusing travel allowance to go to the Melbourne Cup. You've got a candidate for Warringah having to purge their social media at the same time as Scott Morrison is basically saying things that allow that kind of position to be accepted. Uh, You've got Morrison has today said he's not going to have a federal ICAC, something he promised three years ago before the last election. Have we spoken about that Many, many times. And And- Here's the point I'm really keen to make, right, really keen to make this point. The material reality of Australians is most impacted by policies that governments implement around jobs, wages, job security, and social supports. So aged care, childcare, Medicare, social housing, right, Um, pensions, support, NDIS. Those are the things that fundamentally shape the kind of country you have. Morrison went to a ream factory yesterday in Western Sydney. Get ready for this one, children. Went to a ream factory and credit to some of the workers because there was uh, one of them had set up a, a glove with a middle finger put up. One of them was wearing a Hawk Brewing Company cap. Like clearly the workers were not on board with this tour, right? And good on them. And I'm not surprised because Morrison was there to announce, I'm going to deliver 1.3 million jobs over the next five years. By the way, that's the same promise Abbott made in 2013. In fact, I think it's slightly less. Except it's less. I think his was, it's going to be 1.6 million, billions of jobs, we'll be able to pick jobs off the tree. Now, We're not actually going to have any government-directed employment, but there'll be heaps of jobs. Now, Morrison made this announcement, which is basically announcing that we're going to continue the trend in jobs, right? And did it at this ream factory where these workers 
It turns out the AMW, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, that represents these workers, has put out and made very clear that the company is going to offshore a third of the workforce to Vietnam, to Vietnam, a communist country, a communist country, the kind of country that Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton continually tell us we should be afraid of, is going to receive a third of that workforce. And yet, today, the Morrison bus of media people stood around and took photos and video footage of him at another, at another manufacturing plant standing on a stairwell and then walking down the stairwell. One of the reporters, to their credit- I love this. Said, it is unbelievable that this campaign is essentially a pack of cameras standing at the bottom of a staircase waiting for Morrison to come down. Will he trip? Will he fall? Ooh, the suspense. He's stopped to talk to someone. Oh, no, it's all gone fine and he's walked down the staircase with that incident. But this is horse race journalism. Who makes it down the staircase and who stumbles and on what line and on what terms? And it's just like that's not dealing with the questions the Australia has. The story that should be put to Morrison is how can you justify going to Ream and announcing a jobs package when a third of those workers are going to lose their jobs and be shipped offshore? It hasn't been put to him. His press conference today wasn't put to him. He's done a press conference. He's in Corio making another announcement. Uh, and this one, Van, this is the one you brought up to me, the Viva Energy announcement. Oh, yeah, because they're trying to win back the set of Kerangamite. Yep. Which they lost at the last election where their best girl, Sarah Henderson, got done. And Sarah has, of course, since been made a senator. Yeah. And, of course, so Viva Energy and there's a refinery in Geelong. I lived in Geelong for four years. I know the importance of the refinery, of the smelters, of the heavy industry of Geelong to the employment there. Viva is going to get $125 million on top of the subsidies it already gets, on top of the guarantees it already gets, on top of the government contracts it already gets. And, of course, who should be the chair of Viva Energy? None other than former Liberal Minister Robert Hill. They're getting rather a lot of grants, Favor. Many, many grants. And I just, and I just, I don't despair because I think people are onto it more and onto it quicker. But if the campaign is going to be horse race journalism, then Morrison's going to win. He'll win. Yeah. And look, the reason why we know about Viva and the reason why we know about um, uh, the Ream Factory. The Ream Factory is because those stories have been picked up. Yeah, they have been picked up. Yeah, you know, Ben and I are not saying journalists are doing a bad job. No, journalists have gone. Hmm, let's have a look, bit closer look at that. Yeah, which is great, which is absolutely fantastic. But there is a problem with the broader frame, and and that is creating a lack of trust, and that is going to drive people towards, like I said, peer relationships rather than institutional relationships because they trust them more, and if a disinformation narrative gets in. I mean, I just want to put this in context. We have seen some unbelievably dysfunctional Western governments over the past few years. The Trump administration in the United States was a disaster. It was 
dangerous to Americans. A million Americans are now dead from coronavirus because the Trump administration couldn't handle that particular crisis. Um, the situation in Britain is just beyond a joke. Like for anybody who follows British politics, you know, Boris Johnson telling the rest of the country. There are just, basically it is no longer a country of laws. Boris Johnson just does, does, does whatever, whatever he wants. wants. And now companies do as well. P&O sacked their entire workforce or 800 of their workforce and has admitted it probably did so illegally. Oh, great. Hasn't rehired them. So, you know, join your union, folks, because it's the AMWU, it's the nurses' union, it's the dock workers who go, hang on a minute, this is not right, this is not right, and they'll take a stand. Oh, in Britain, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is their equivalent of a treasurer, yeah, yeah. Rishi Sunak, who was, you know, some people say were the one, it was the one who could probably replace Johnson, um, they've just found out that his wife is not domiciled in the UK for tax reasons. She's worth £700 million and she is, she's participating in, le- uh, you know, legal form of uh, tax minimisation. She's... The Chancellor of the Exchequer's wife. And if I can bring it back to Australia for a moment, we've also seen today George Christensen from the LNP, now of One Nation, who decided he wasn't going to, didn't want to be the member for Dawson anymore, had had enough of actually turning up to work in the odd occasions when he bothered to do so. I hear the weather in Manila is lovely this time of year. Has managed to get himself pre selected onto the One Nation ticket. At third. Now, I saw a number that said for George Christensen to stand any chance of actually winning a Senate seat from third place on the One Nation ticket, he will, One Nation will need to get over 40% of the primary vote. One Nation has never got close to that. But I also saw that some very good journos had done the work and exposed that George Christensen, because he quit, would not have got the resettlement payment, in inverted commas, that parliamentarians who lose or are disendorsed get. People might remember on a show last year, we talked about the fact that George Christensen was asking the LNP to disendorse him so that he would get this resettlement bonus. They, they, To their credit, they refused. He will now get it because he will lose as a Senate candidate and he is currently a member of parliament. It is just disgraceful. These people have no shame. They think the law doesn't apply to them. They're happy to manipulate it and find the loopholes, and that's what needs to be exposed. Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing, that disinformation networks in Australia have been established. Absolutely. There are these extremely powerful conduits online. Like the overwhelming majority of Australians think Craig Kelly, formerly again of the Liberal Party, now of the Freedom, Freedom, Freedom Party or whatever it's called. Clive Palmer's Meat Puppets. Yeah, the Clive Palmer Meat Puppet Party. Yeah. The Sounds Like a Bad Frank Zappa Song title party. I just It's just all too awful for words. Craig Kelly has one of the biggest Facebook communities in Australia. Yeah. Australia. And has been a conduit for, you know, vaccine denial and conspiracy theories and pro Putinism. Pro Putinism. There is a long record of George Christensen. We talked about this on the show last week. Yeah. Um, g- giving pro Russia statements. Oh, well, you know, the Eastern Territories of Ukraine, they're really Russian. And it's like, that's an interesting perspective for us to consider um, when Russia was, you know, invading them. Um, and they are there. That infrastructure is there. That pipeline is there. And there's a level of plausible deniability with the, 
There is no plausible deniability in my view, Van, because these are all former Liberals. Pauline Hanson was a Liberal candidate. Craig Kelly was a Liberal Member of Parliament. George Christensen was a Liberal National Member of Parliament. One after another of these stooges, these meat puppets that stand up and try and undermine our democracy with this misinformation, with this disinformation. Pro-Putin propaganda. Pocket lining palaver. They are Liberal Party stooges, each and every one of them, from 25 years ago to just yesterday. There's a long history, long, long history. And I do I do get fired up because, you know, we wear our colours on the mast. We, we, we fly our colours from the mast. We wear our colours on our sleeve. We are proud of who we are. We don't hide it. We want to, we want to have a contest of ideas. We want to say... This is what we think will make the country better. This is what will lift Australians up. And all they want to do is get an extra hundred grand when they get thrown out of parliament. And lie. And Ugh. lie. I mean, George Christensen and Craig Kelly both backed in the Trump big lie that they both yeah. were involved in sharing disinformation that said Antifa, this mysterious organisation of, you know, evil, evil anti-fascists no one can seem to find, were in disguise and responsible for January 6th and the attack on the Capitol building, right? They have, they've been called out on this again yep. and again and again. But I want to put this in the context of what happens to democracies. And this is why I was talking about the Trump administration and the absolute disaster of Johnson in the UK, because both of those administrations had enormous amounts of online disinformation support. And they were elected on the basis of lies. Like Johnson's big campaign, which was Brexit. £120 billion for the NHS or something. Yeah, $365 million, sorry, for the NHS every day. Like ridiculous, just made-up nonsense figures pushed through online disinformation networks to communities who have lost trust in institutions and and believe peers over the evidence of their eyes and ears. Well, the good news on that is that there are now now things like the week on Wednesday that you can share with your peers, with your friends, with your family, with your co-workers. Like, you know, we've got to take it up to them. We've got to give people different Information. We've got to give people. Ben and I are union members and we know how we vote and we're not going to back away from it. Join your union. I say it every time. Join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow. The work unions are doing in this election period is phenomenal. They are focused on secure work. They put out a report this week that talked about how one in three Australians is in some form of insecure work. We know that the digital sham contracting is crushing crushing delivery drivers. It's crushing taxi drivers. It's crushing people in the NDIS. Like digital sham contracting is is terrible. Labor hire has stripped job security from mining jobs. Casualization has stripped security from tertiary education. Labor hire is stripping job security from the public sector. Like it's there. It's real. The Outsourcing, numbers- offshoring, and sham contracting. Even when Morrison is trying to talk about jobs, he's standing in a company that's going to send a third of the jobs to Vietnam. Uh, it's it's just so full on. And the thing is that when you elect a government on lies, if you cannot elect a government that does speak to the issues the country needs, like the country suffers. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is the problem. Like- 
there are a million dead Americans because yeah. there was an administration that was elected on lies and governed through lies. And I'm ter- like, that think, terrifies me. You know, there's lots of ways people can get involved now. I think, you know, join your union, get involved with your union campaign. You know, I can say it and I will say it, become a member of the Labor Party, get active in the Labor campaign, you know, vote one Labor, put the Liberals last, call out misinformation and disinformation, engage with your friends and your family. You know, like it is absolutely vital that we don't allow horse race campaign to determine the future of this country because it will, because it has before, because it has in the US and the UK. And we, the people, get to make the decision. We still are a democracy. At the end of the day, we have to make sure that the people who decide, those people who are not engaged, those people who are not following it closely, that they understand the weight of the decision that they're making and the consequences and what it means to put a one next to Labor or a one next to Liberal. And if we can get them to understand that and engage with that and what it means for their lives, then we can destroy the disinformation that has eaten and corroded the soul of our democracy. I'm doing going to do a plug. I'm wearing a T-shirt uh, from High Tees Australia who yep. make beautiful feminist T-shirts, the famous dolly jumper that you may have seen on my social media. And they came to me and they asked for, they said, we want to do a pro-democracy shirt. We've got a great idea for a design. Can you give us a slogan? And mine says, democracy tastes great. That was the slogan I came up with. And the illustration is so beautiful. It's a hand holding up a democracy sausage in the shape of Australia. And I will obviously, um, something I really, really love about this country is that we are fundamentally democratic country. Like we do believe as a people in egalitarianism and in universal enfranchisement and that the vote is important and must be, you know, protected protected and defended. And I love these T-shirts because they celebrate my values as a democracy enthusiast. And I'd encourage you, however you vote, if you're one of those people who listens to this show because you know what my politics are and therefore have a framework for understanding what I talk about, whether you share them or not, you should get one because it's just nice. It is nice. There are values that transcend the horse race. Now, let's talk about some good news because there is actually some good environmental news as well as, of course, that good news about- The dog is being very annoying. That good news about Medicare. Not and, good news about the dog being annoying. And the and the announcement that, um, that our were made today about 50 Medicare urgent care clinics uh, as well as, of course- To take pressure off emergency rooms. Yeah, absolutely. We need that. Like, it's a no-brainer. But there's some other good news, right, Van? And I I think it's going to blow Matt Canavan, LNP Senator for Queensland's mind. The Minister for Fake Coal Dust. The Minister for Fake Coal Dust, because it turns out- that we can have solar energy at night. Yeah, so researchers from Stanford um, in the US, one of the great universities of the world, they've cracked how to use, um, how to create solar, how to build solar cells in a way, and it was like three yeah. verbs to get to the same destination, uh, in the way that they capture and process energy from the sun during the day. Yeah. And they also capture the energy that the earth releases at nighttime, so they're sort of double-sided solar cells, and they can. The research is still ongoing. Some of the things they discovered were sort of accidental, and with a combination of insulation and other sort of various design adjustments, 
you can power lights all night, keep the energy running all night with your um, your solar in a very yeah. Place. So you wouldn't have to be part of a grid. I got to say this this just I think is fantastic because we all have heard. The, the constant right-wing rhetoric that, oh, oh yeah, it doesn't work at night time. Yeah, and when the sun like, doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, uh, what are you going to do then, renewable boy? Well, obviously, I mean, we have we have batteries. solar and our lights stay on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, obviously batteries have been the solution to yeah. that and this is a no-battery solution. So this is using the same grid. And, like, it's amazing. And this is what happens if you invest in science yeah. is that scientists have a habit of coming up with things. I just think it's great. I, You know, I'm just looking forward to seeing how Matt Canavan manages to rub a, a solar thermal cell on his face uh, to try and take credit for this because, I, I mean, I don't know how he does that without cutting his own nose off. So, oh, cut his nose off to spot his face. Oh, there you go. Look at that. That's a nice Look level. at Ben doing metaphors after all the limbs that he's drunk <laughs> today. I think we better leave it there because yeah. – uh, ben has really knocked it out of the park and I have a feeling an imminent physical collapse um, is likely to occur. But, of course, Van, we have to do our Buy Me A Coffee supporters. Of course, because you are the guys who keep us going. And like I said, there is no big socialism to pay the bills. No. Um, there is uh, incredible support that we receive from this from our base of contributors and you make the show possible, you enable us to cover our costs. Um, our costs have gone up, of course, because now there's a federal election. Of course. The cost of political advertising, which is, you know, what we come under because we're a political show, has shot through the ceiling, Ben, am I right? This is correct. This is correct. We are uh, having to try and get ourselves uh into the same kind of media markets that, of course, people like Clive Palmer are trying to flood. Got rather a lot of money, Clive uh, Palmer. And certainly we're not ever going to compete with that. And that's why sharing the episode, talking to your friends. Have a listening party. Doing all those things is so important, uh, so important for us uh, to to get to happen. Now, I just, just quickly want to do... Uh, do our our cadre members? Are we really sophisticated in the way that we're trying to find the file with the list and covering that up? Poor Ben is so ill. I'm so sorry about this, but of course, our cadre supporters, Leona Gibbons, someone, uh, 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 Hannah Honda, Sam Harriet, Alexandra Sutherland. Matt Bush, no relation. I'm guessing to to the other President Bush. Christine Cole, Richard Sands, Glenn Robbie, Brash Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Diane Blyton, Atlee Archer, Linda Cartwright, Natalie Ann Shingles, Louise Moran, Donna Chapman. I don't have Twitter. My name is Susan Myers, at Kerry Nash 20, Billy Three McCabe, Karen Will Robertson, Narissa Simon, at Cadigal, Lauren and Ash, Matthew Hadley, at Narunga Man. John Sharpen, Peter Barth, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, and uh, Nandita Hannam uh, is, is the first of our uh, Extending the Reach supporters. Bill Collis, Moira Louise Hawker, Megan Weckart, Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Belinda Bravo, Sandy Honan, at Gail Vest, Greg Martin, Trina, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, and Kay Tui, Bo Sullivan, Elaine and Andrew, Ivor Spillett, Jennifer Berkeley, Andrew Bryan, Tamara James, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Adid, Keir Patterson, 
Lizard Twizzle, Buncombe Basher, Katie Ward, at The Real Neville Longbody, Sandy Bomegart at Not Sandy B. And Sandy, thanks for your email today. I hope that helped my response. At uh, Melody Patterson, uh, Renee McGee, uh, Erica Pazuti, Claire, Joe Lapino, Steph, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry Arthur, and Pauline Bate. And of course, a huge congratulations, thank you, and solidarity to all of our Buck a Week supporters as well, and everybody who's made one-off uh, contributions. As you can see, the list of Cadre and Extend the Reach just gets longer and longer every week. Even Ooh. when Ben isn't as sick as a dog <laughs> and looking for the file. So we thank everybody for your support. Do like, comment, share, review. Let us know the issues. We are... Forgive us for the misbehaving dog knocking the furniture over. We will be back on Easter Sunday with an Easter Sunday edition. Uh, hopefully I'm feeling a bit better by then. Uh, but until then, I love you, Vanny. I love you too. Now get back into bed. Bye. Bye.